I'm Addison. I'm Hudson's mom. He's two and a half, but at 17 months old, he was diagnosed with chloride plexus carcinoma. I tell people all the time that you get to know so many families and create a family of your own. I've reached out to families that have been diagnosed after us and said, hey, this isn't a family you want to be a part of, but we are family now. St. Jude is a miracle. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by texting SHIRT to 785-833. There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. On July 11th, 2021, a loud call for freedom was heard on the streets of communist-ruled Cuba. Fed up with 62 years of nada, nothing, but Castro-communism, oppression, and scarcity. What does the future hold for the people long robbed of any opportunities? How did we get here? What we learned? And can we finally be free? SOS Cuba is a weekly six-episode series hosted by me, Enrique Santos, and Telemundo and NBC journalist Jose Diaz-Balart. We invite you to join us, our guests, social influencers, artists, and journalists from the island, as well as the global exile community, as we dive deep into the history that shaped us and talk patria, vida, libertad, and human rights in Cuba. We can't talk about Cubans, Cuban music, Cuban culture without talking about Emilio Estefan. Um, he needs very little introduction. Of course, Emilio, I mean, his career as a music producer and successful businessman alongside his awesome wife, Gloria Estefan, is one of our proudest Cuban success stories. Emilio, thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm so, so glad to be here with you guys. <laughs> On such an important topic, and we've been talking a lot about this, and thank you everyone for, for watching and for listening because uh, it's, it's important. Have you ever imagined um, what your career would be like or what Gloria's career would be like had you not have had to leave Cuba? Like Celia or Cachao, that was global. You know something? They had the opportunity. Nothing could make me more happy to, to be successful in my country. I mean, you know, I think the exile community is a proven fact that they came here with, without absolutely nothing. What they've done in Miami and all over the world is amazing. I'm so proud of them because, you know, something that could be happening in Cuba. And President Bush mentioned that many times, and President Obama too. I mean, when President Obama went to Cuba, I told him, they're going to lie to you, Mr. President. And I saw this speech before he went to Cuba. And I said, you know something, this is going to be, I'm telling you. And he was, so in a way, innocent, saying, well, it's going to be great. People are going to wait. We need to think in the future. I said, you never deal with the communists. And, you know, when he came back, I think he told me he felt, he felt that energy that, you know, they didn't let didn't welcome him, didn't let anybody go in the, out in the street. And before he left, they put us in. They said, you know, Cuba will keep being ruling the, everything the way Cuba wanted to do it. When it comes to the topic of Cuba, uh, the Estefans are not far from the discussion, Emil, both Emilio and, and Gloria. In fact, over 
uh, your 40 career, 40 year career, Emilio, uh, you've helped shape the conversation with six United States presidents and policy on Cuba and always been a voice in, in all of our, these six presidents' uh, ears, including our uh, President uh, Biden. You're clear that it's, this is not a moment, that this is a, a movement that your country of birth is, is going through, a historical moment, something that has, hasn't happened uh, in 62 plus years, something that I know you didn't see when you were 14 years old or haven't seen since you were 14 years old when you were separated from your parents and left Cuba, same story as my father. He was 15 when he left Cuba through, through Spain. Did you think it was going to take that long? When you, that, 11, that 14-year-old Emilio Estefan, when he left Cuba, did you ever think that you were never going to be able to return? That it was going to be 62-plus years, and still you have not been able to return to a free Cuba? You know something that people, what people need to realize, I think the internet is definitely playing a major role in this because what happened, this has been happening for 62 years uh, uh, and they've been promoting a beautiful Cuba in a different way and not really the real truth. Having the internet, that's also one thing that us meeting with the President Biden, the same thing that I met with six different presidents talking about Cuba, me and Gloria discussing what's the future. I mean, this is a perfect moment. We live in a historical moment. The people, for the first time, seeing the reality, what the abuse, what they've done to people. So many people in jail, so many people lost their life. I mean, and reality is something that people need to know. Because I think Cuba, they are been great about advertising Cuba in a totally different way. The best medical system in the world, the best this and that, and it's not true. And for the first time, I mean, right now I'm working the, a whole campaign, and that's, I think it's gonna, almost ready to be approved that we're gonna do a major campaign global about showing the real truth about Cuba. And I think that's the way. Internet is gonna play a major role in this situation. Every president that I talk, they say it has to come from Cuba first, Emilio. This is the moment we were waiting for. And you know something like uh, I told President Biden, and Mr. President, you know, 62 years ago, it was a guy who came to my country that destroyed not only my life, everybody's life, and many countries, and you know, and so many horrible things. President Biden in this moment has a great opportunity to leave a great legacy about, you know, freedom, about a free Cuba, democracy. I think they, I think the, the, I don't know what they invite me. They invite me because I feel they, that I know, because I've done 43 events in the White House, they feel that I am, I know exactly how the White House works and nothing is easy. But you know something, I think the president of him, I mean. What, what, Emilio, what do you think needs to be done? Well, it needs to continue the, the whole situation. Of course, all this happening now in Afghanistan, everything happening in Haiti. It's so many problems global. I mean, I work with the presidents. I produce 43 events in the White House. When you get the agenda, it's so many things that's happening. For us, it's so important that, you know, we keep hitting the door and knocking the door to be sure that he, he, he doesn't forget. I think we need to continue, but I think military has to play a big role. When the military reverts to, the, to the, the regime, I think that's going to be the great opportunity because right now they get new kids, they promise whatever they want to promise, and, and they, they, by themselves, they cannot do it. I think that a coalition will be fantastic. I told President Biden, it's extremely important. He personally called all this country. Don't send anybody to call. You should call and try to get maybe like a huge meeting about the democracy because realistically what is happening in Cuba is not only in Cuba. It's in Venezuela, it's in Nicaragua, it's now in Argentina. We see it probably happen in Mexico, and we have to avoid that. I mean, it's a perfect example of what happened in Venezuela, especially in Cuba, that, uh, the, that doesn't work. 
the communist doesn't work, no, doesn't matter, whatever you tell anybody, they promote whatever, it doesn't work. Freedom is one thing that we all came looking for freedom. One of the things that I'm always proud is about the exile community because I don't, doesn't matter how old they are, they're still fighting. They're still fighting. Even probably we have different opinions. People think I'm Republican or Democrat. I don't believe in parties, number one. I do, I'm totally independent because I feel, you know, something when you go to a one party, you have to be Republican or Democrat. But one thing that we agree that all Cubans, what they're looking at this moment is for freedom. And we have to get the attention. We need to keep doing the internet. We have to keep, you know, showing all the horrible things that they've done in Cuba. What do you think, Emilio? You know, and I've, and I've, I've made reference to this. I, there's in no way, shape, or form am I comparing what the Cubans are going through to what you know our, our Jewish brothers and sisters went through. But this is a real life genocide that's happening. Uh, like you mentioned in the internet, and we see the images. It's real. It's happening now. Why do you think it's so difficult for the world? Not, not to see that, or better said, why is it so difficult for the world to ignore what Cubans are suffering and going through currently? I'm going to tell you why, because it's been probably 55 years of lying to them. It's like, you know, you have to hit the new generation with the new technology to show the reality. So for 55 years, he said, you have a beautiful marriage and the, the guy is cheating with the 10 women and you say, he's so good, he's so beautiful, he's so good, he's so, until one day somebody sees the reality, the guy is not a good guy. This is what happened. That's the reason I think the Jewish community, I'm so proud of them because they never let people forget what they did to them. And I think we have to do that exactly. The Cuban community have to work. And every, let me tell you, every time that me and Gloria been with President Mandela, and they told us we was communists because we talked to him. You need to talk to President Mandela. You talk to talk to, to President Obama. You need to talk to President Bush. You need to talk to every single president, the Queen of England. I mean, oh my God, every pope that we talked, you know, we had expressed, I mean, how sad we are what happened in our country. And not only our country, the major problem we have with Cuba, I met with uh, probably the day when they did the whole convention here that was like 10, 20 presidents. They explained what they export to the world all the uh, things that happen in Venezuela, it's happening in Mexico, happening in Argentina, they are really, you know, going this way to promote, you know, communism and, you know, and, and no freedom in all these countries. Emilio, I've oftentimes wondered why it's so difficult to kind of follow up on, on Enrique's point for the world to understand what is going on in Cuba. You know, I... It's amazing. I think back of years that I've had the privilege of being your friend and going even on your plane sometimes to different cities in the United States where you fill arenas. And you were 30 years ago, once you told me, we went to India, filled 100,000, venue of 100,000. And Gloria can't walk down the streets of, of any Indian city without people recognizing her. And yet in Cuba, Gloria Estefan and Celia Cruz and Rolando La Serie and so many others were, were made invisible. Paquito de Rivera, even those that were huge at one time. I mean, Iraquere, right? Paquito de Rivera and, and Arturo Sandoval. Once they leave, they're tried to make invisible. How do you describe that for people who don't know what Cuba is Just like? Communists. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, they erased you from the history of the books. It's like Celia Cruz never, you know, people say, no, that was, she's not. Some people ask me sometimes, did she was Cuban? 
Because, you know, something, a lot of the young generation, they didn't know. I mean, we, I mean, we have probably 62 years of people manipulating the, the history about Cuba and their benefit. I keep saying, you know, believe it or not, the Internet is going to play such a big role in this for the first time. And I think it's our role to go and, and, and all, all of us, especially that we feel the, the pain. I'm proud and the, the Cuban people never forget about Cuba. It's incredible. So many years pass by, they always talk about, they pray for Cuba, they try to help. But we're dealing with a, a regime that, you know, it's been, and remember, it's a lot of policies between these. You have China in one place, you have Russia in the other place. I mean, you see that it's not easy, What you know, just going and support and, and be against Cuba, it will definitely would, uh, break a lot of relationship between the other countries against the United States. So I think they, they need to be extremely smart, but I think, you know, something, I don't know if President Biden finally will do something, I represent him. I'm going there as a Cuban, trying to tell him everything that I feel is important for the Cuban people. Um, the same thing that I did with President Bush, the same thing that I did with President Clinton. The things, I, you know, it's really hard to understand that it's going to be so hard. And the only people who can definitely do this, it has to start from Cuba. And the military will have to play a major role. People realize they have no future. Any doctor that you know, they imagine all the real truth about doctors, they go out of the country, they get paid, for example, uh, $2,000, they only get paid $15, and the government keeps the rest. People need to know the real truth, and I think, you know, something we have to work a lot, and I'm glad you're doing this, this program, because, you know, people will get to know the reality of what's happening in Cuba. I'm Addison, I'm Hudson's mom, he's two and a half, but at 17 months old he was diagnosed with chloride plexus carcinoma. I tell people all the time that you get to know so many families and create a family of your own. I've reached out to families that have been diagnosed after us and said, hey, this isn't a family you want to be a part of, but we are family now. St. Jude is a miracle. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by texting SHIRT to 785-833. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know, Willie Chirino, who is a guy who is so extraordinarily multi, uh, you know, he has so many talents. He's incredible. 
and yet, you know, what what could have been, how different it could have been if Cuba had been a country over the last 62 country, uh, years that respected its people, that respected and nurtured its people. I think of, you know, your music couldn't be played in mu in Cuba. You know, people went to jail for saying, you know, ya viene llegando. Celia Cruz couldn't be played in Cuba. Her sister died in Cuba and she was not able to go back. H how many artists, William, you produced her album. You know, how many artists could have been, had a different trayectoria si no fuera por la destrucción de ese sistema? You know, there's nothing better than being able to live in you, La Tierra que te vio nacer, being surrounded by your own people. We don't have that privilege. We are, hay una canción que escribió Sergio Fiallo hace muchos años que era Boris, que se llama La Extranjera. Dice, a mí me llaman La Extranjera, el extranjero, por donde quiera que voy, soy como el viento que pasa. Ningún lugar en mi casa, ninguna mano el amor. Y a veces nos, los cubanos nos sentimos así, ¿no? Porque donde quiera que vamos, ¿no? en realidad, aunque llevamos muchos años aquí, yo todavía eh, trato de, de, de mantenerme un poco aislado de ciertas cosas que suceden en Estados Unidos, porque yo me siento privilegiado, naturalmente, de haber sido recibido en este país. I feel privileged to be able to have been welcomed in this country, but I, feel, I am Cuban. I am Cuban, and I feel like that, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, for a, for a person who be who who's able to grow and to do whatever it is that they do, their own talents in their own country, surrounded by their own people, it's it's, it's such a blessing that we never had. We had the privilege, the privilege, as I said before, and I am so grateful to this country for op opening uh, their arms to us welcoming them and helping us in the process of, uh, you know, working here and making our lives and achieving or looking or for the American dream. It's, it's a blessing, but nothing like living in your own country, nothing like that. That's why so many of us fight with all our hearts to, to be able to achieve that, to be able to, to, to go back to, to Mucha gente me pregunta, si, si Cuba es libre, ¿tú regresarías a vivir allí? Naturalmente que sí. Naturalmente que sí. Yo naturalmente también tengo cinco hijos, tengo seis hijos y cinco nietos en este país, todos nacidos acá, all born in the United States, five uh, grandkids and uh, six kids who were born in this country, but I would love to be able to live in Cuba. I would love to be able to, to live in Cuba. La gente me pregunta también, ¿qué tú harías el día en que Cuba sea libre? ¿Cantaría ir a cantar en Cuba? Yo, when I think of Free Cuba, I think of me, el papel ese que tú, tú hablabas hace un ratito, eh, Enrique, el papel que me corresponde a mí, mucho más que cantar, es buscar o ayudar en el proceso de la sanación del pueblo cubano. In the process of sanación, what's the word? Uh, the healing of, of the Cuban people, of the diaspora, which are more than two million, right? Maybe maybe more. Mm -hmm. And the 11 million that live in Cuba. 
I mean, even among themselves, among the Cuban people, you know, have the divisions that are developed because of the system that they have tried to so hard to to achieve. Es un logro de ellos dividirlo, ¿no? Entonces, en el momento que llegue la libertad de Cuba, yo creo que es un papel muy importante para mí, para ustedes, diría. Y todo el que tenga el poder de convocatoria, el poder de ser escuchado por miles de personas, de, de buscar sanación, for healing of our people, which is going to take a while, and it's going to be a tough job. Definitely tough, eh, y nos toca a, a todos nosotros jugar ese papel que tanto que tanto pediste, que tanto le pediste a, a Dios que te alumbrara, ¿no? Y que te dijera cuál era ese papel. Gracias, Willy. I'm Addison. I'm Hudson's mom. He's two and a half, but at 17 months old, he was diagnosed with chloride plexus carcinoma. I tell people all the time that you get to know so many families and create a family of your own. I've reached out to families that have been diagnosed after us and said, hey, this isn't a family you want to be a part of, but we are family now. St. Jude is a miracle. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by texting SHIRT to 785-833. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Jose, let's connect with one of the most recognizable faces and most decorated actors in Hollywood, who coincidentally was born in Cuba, left Cuba when he was five years old. Andy Garcia, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction, uh, the early morning introduction. I'm much appreciated. Thank you, brother. How are you? Doing great. You're someone who is just like us, is very proud of our, our heritage. And uh, don't forget the stories of uh, the Cuban people and the suffering, more importantly, of what Cubans are currently and have been enduring for almost 63 years now. As a matter of fact, one of your big projects, The Lost City, uh, helps tell part of that story. Could you walk us through how difficult, or I know it wasn't easy, for you to get that movie done? Well, the, the, the first steps were, were, were easy, and then, this, and then shortly thereafter, it became very, very difficult. The, the, the initial idea to, to, that I had to tell the story uh, at the time, I had done several projects with Paramount Pictures. I think uh, 
Dead Again and um, and The Untouchables and Black Rain and and I think we had done Internal Affairs already and perhaps we're on our oh and and yeah we had just been shooting Internal Affairs and I approached Miss, the head of the studio at the time uh, Frank Mancuso uh, with this idea of telling a story. Uh, my sort of pitch to him was, you know, there was a moment in time in Cuban history at the turn of the revolution. And I wanted to focus on a family as a sort of a microcosm of what went down and how the different factions of the family could be aligned with different ideas or at least different uh, groups of people with di different, if sometimes the same idea, but led by different people, you know, in the case of uh, the Directorio Revolucionario and the 26th of July movement which at one point were together, but then because of, of strife between leadership and obviously a lot of them began to not trust Fidel for obvious reasons, they sort of disaligned themselves, but and they were all fighting for the same cause, which was the, the, the restoration of the constitution, have a more pluralistic society, you know, get rid of Batista and so forth. But so I presented this idea to Paramount, to Frank uh, Senior, Frank Mancuso Senior, and uh, with the idea of making this movie that was about Sort of had the elements uh, that he of Casablanca, where this character would own a cabaret, like a Tropicana cabaret or the Sans Souci, or something very popular in Havana. So it had the backdrop of dance and music, obviously, and that he would be sort of an apolitical character, like Rick in uh, in uh, Casablanca, where he was really more concerned about the culture of the country and and did not really align himself politically, other than being more maybe as aligned with the position of his father, who is a, a, a professor of, uh, of Roman law at the University of, of uh, Havana and was, a, again, a very sort of morally straight individual. And then obviously that was set between the backdrop of, of the political turmoil that was going on in the country. So you had the elements of the cabaret, the dance, the family dynamics, like in The Godfather per se, which was also an inspiration for the film. and and. Uh, and the musical aspects of it, you know, which was really like sort of the protagonist in the film, tell the story through the country's music. And I presented this idea with the idea that Guillermo Cabrera Infante would write the screenplay. Uh, now, Maestro Infante was only a, uh, he had written, of course, many, many novels and, and many, and several of them were inspirations for the film, like Three Trap Tigers and not particular, the whole novel, but elements of the fact that he knew so much about that time and place. Mm -hmm. uh, view of Dawn in the the view of Dawn in the tropics, another one. And so, the head of the story department at Paramount knew Guillermo's work. Guillermo had written one screenplay or two. One was produced called Vanishing Point, under the name of G. Kane, which was his, his sort of pseudonym when he was a film critic in Havana, as in Cain, no Guillermo Cabrera Infante, no. And then the other one was a, a draft for Joseph Losey uh, of Under the Volcano that was never produced. His draft was never produced. So I presented the idea and Mr. Mancuso said, go ahead, hire him, see if he wants to do it. I went to London and uh, I sat down with Guillermo and uh, told him the idea of this sort of, you know, Casablanca cabaret godfather element. And, and he said he would, he would do it. And so we were off and running. So the beginning of the development of the piece was very was very quick and smooth. Mr. Infante developed uh, delivered a 300-page screenplay, which is you know a normal screenplay at the most is like 120 pages. So it was like this amazing Bible of 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 Cuban history and dynamics that eventually you know was too much to produce. We didn't have the days like in those days of the 
limited series where you could tell something over a period of uh, eight hours. I wanted it to be a feature. So over over some a number of years, we pared it down, and I, I started incorporating you know different characters and you know you know getting it into a producible uh, screenplay. But I never got Mr. Mancuso. Shortly thereafter, left Paramount, and uh, I got the rights back to the script. Paramount didn't want to make the movie, and then for 16 years, I struggled to have anybody support the film. Nobody in the industry would would uh, support the film in traditional ways, you know, in terms of distribution, Paramount or Fox or anybody. And I just struggled and struggled and and uh, the movie gods were on my side. Uh, and uh, the brother of my agent at the time, Sam Gores, his brother, Tom Gores, who was a friend of mine. Uh, and he was uh, a man that had the, you know, the per personal wherewithal to support the film, uh, wrote a check. He said, I'm gonna support you and he wrote me a check. And that's how the movie got made. It got made completely outside the system. Eventually, we made the movie and began to exhibit the film uh, or try to exhibit the film. We had an international sales agent and and we started to submit it to the most important festivals in uh, in the world. And uh, it was turned down by all the festivals. Why, Eddie? What did they say? Why? What was the reason given to turn down a movie? Uh, sometimes they just don't give you a reason, you know. They just say thank you very much. It's a very beautiful film. One one had said I was I was expecting much more of a political film than it was, like coming from me kind of thing, you know. As though I was just I was just making a historical film, you know, based on facts. I wasn't trying to. I didn't have a political agenda. I had a cinematic agenda, you know, <laughs> to represent to do a story about, you know, a time and place very much like Schindler's List or. Uh, I don't know, The Godfather or, you know, uh, any, you know, you know, I was inspired by the great historical dramas. You know what I'm saying? Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, I'm not putting mm -hmm. it in that category. I'm just saying to me, it was a historical drama, you know, uh, with music as its protagonist. And and uh, the major ones turned it down. Even one was said that halfway through the movie, it was they was thinking they would be opening the festival. But after they finished the movie, they passed. And uh, I asked him why, the head of the festival, you know, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he said, uh, he said, well, I re he said, no, well, we have, you know, we feel certainly, you know, have different sensibilities about the subject matter, you know? And I said, well, couldn't it be that the first half of the movie is the anti-Batista rebellion and the second half is the re revolution's betrayal of its promises? And they said, yes, yes, but, you know, we have a different, you know. So obviously there was this undertone of sympathy for the Castro legacy that was uh, exposed in the film, as was Che Guevara's legacy or, you know, uh, not legacy, because his legacy, che, che was always, as you know, very upfront about the fact that he would, you know, that he the ends justify the means. And he's, mm -hmm. as he said in the UN, we were, we will, we will uh, we will execute and we'll continue to execute people. He says we don't have to we don't have to abide by the bourgeois notion of a trial. Revolutionary justice is the ultimate justice. And so he was never he never you know 
No tenía pelo en la lengua, as they said. You know, he always stood for what he believed in, even though he was an assassin and all that. But a lot of people in the world, they don't want to see that side of him, you know, so. Why do you think that is? Why do you, I mean, why is it so difficult to talk about something that's obviously wrong, morally wrong? Because, um, you know, wrong. because people develop heroes, you know, and they, they're fed, they're fed a propaganda based on a, on a myth of, of a person, right? And the world is fed this propaganda of the Cuban revolution, who they are, what they stand for. And, and that goes along with, with Che himself. And they grow up with, with this sort of indoctrination to the heroic qualities and we fight for the people and free medicine and free education. I'm saying, well, you know, Cuba was educated before Castro. He didn't educate the people. He indoctrinated the people, but he didn't educate them, you know? And, and so they grow up with this notion and then now you're 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 showing a different version of it. They don't they don't want to they don't want to you know don't spoil my hero don't you know don't cloud you know don't that's not true. Oh, it just it, happens you know, to be true because he he well, actually in the case of Che he was always very you know uh, transparent about it. He never he never tried to stand behind you know or hide behind his actions. He took full right. responsibility. It's almost acceptable if you were indoctrinated that way and you grew up knowing nothing different. You were brainwashed and you were told that one story and you didn't have uh, your re resources to be able to educate yourself on, on the truth. But then you have the world, so many different people that just choose to ignore uh, such horrible things happening. And even now, most recently, Pepe Aguilar, who's a very intelligent man, uh, respected Mexican musician, walks around with a Che Guevara on his shirt and he says, well, he's, he's my hero. You know, Jose, that doesn't that doesn't that bother you? Well, I mean, what I, I just don't can't think. There are very few times in history that uh, humanity can be so collectively imbecilic and not know it. In other words, you know, the, the fact that you're wearing a, a T-shirt by a guy who, as Andy says, had no qualms about saying how much of an assassin he was and how much he enjoyed it, bragged about it. Uh, and yet you wear his T-shirt and you say, well, he represents what I want. It says either you're really, really, really ignorant or worse. Uh, well, I don't know. What there, is a, there is an element of, of uh, ignorance because there was an article here in the, in the L.A. Times years ago, over 10 years ago, which I was surprising. A journalist went around and every time she saw someone with a chase shirt, she would ask him, who's that? And the answers were so varied. Uh, that you know, some people say he's a rock star. The others say he, always, you know, he plays reggae music. The other, and it would go like that. Not all of them knew. He said, some people say, well, he's a he's a revolutionary guy, and but nothing really specific right. to uh, to like really who he was. It's the icon of the image that was so cool. It's like having Bob Marley on the on a T-shirt. You know, it's like having Bob Marley. He just he he looked very heroic. He looked very charismatic, and therefore the the the, the the, the greatest thing was in the article, it ended where they goes, it ended in the article and said, uh, with one of the responses, and he said, Oh, yeah, this is the guy who invented the mojito. <laughs> so there you have Bob Marley who enjoyed spliffs, and yeah. then you have Che Guevara who enjoys splitting people's heads open. There you go. The, it seems like that's the only <laughs> similitude yeah, yeah. there is between the two. Andy, thank you. Thank you for pushing to make the lost city for telling the truth of, of the, you know, the Cuban uh, story, part of the story, part of the story. Uh, it, it's and we're doing our part because imagine 30, 40, 50 years from now, if people start walking around with T-shirts with Osama bin Laden, uh, you know, 
it's important to tell the story and tell the story mm-hmm. how it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Andy, talk about indoctrination because you, you mentioned that, that the indoctrination has been so prevalent, right? Uh, in, in, within, inside of Cuba, but then also what people believe outside about a Cuba that no, doesn't exist. But how is it that indoctrination, in other words, if you're not Cuban or don't know any Cuban history, you may think, what the hell are these guys talking about? What right. exactly are you talking about? What's indoctrination? What you, is that? You left Cuba when you were five, right? So you saw all of these things that I'm sure influenced you in one way, shape, or another. I left when I was five. I was very young, but I was I was already, that was two and a half years after the Castro had taken over and I've already declared himself the so-called Marxist, which I don't believe he's a Marxist. I think he's a fidelista. I think he's, that was just a, a, a coat that he had to wear for the support that he needed financially and military wise from Russia. Uh, but that's my own theory. You know, he, he, he's Castro is, is aligned with the, you know, all, all the great, uh, people who study, you know, psychology and stuff have really defined him as a malignant narcissist. And if you look that up, it pretty much tells you who the guy was. So he was on his own journey and he had to, declare himself a, a Marxist because it was convenient for him during the Cold War and during that time to align himself with the people that were against America, which was his greatest jo- you know, journey in life to confront the Goliath to the North kind of thing. you know. But the indoctrination thing was there for me. I mean, um, they passed a law shortly after him, uh, you know, shutting down the country and nationalizing all the properties and all the newspapers and the free press and so forth, called Patria Potestad, which you lost your rights to your children to the state. So you would enter, at, you know, at the age of five or so, the school, you know, the state-run schools. There was no private schools anymore. It was all state-run. And that indoctrination process would begin. And I, I was already receiving the energy of the revolution because I had a, a police station that was a Batista police station across the street from our house in Bejucal and had been taken over by the Castro's militia. So I was already experiencing that energy. And uh, I remember my mother said that uh, my dad came home one day and he said, we, she said, we have to get out of here. We got to go. He says, what happened? Because your son was, I saw your son marching in the front yard today, you know, tarareando, you know, like humming or the, the so-called uh, new anthem, you know? And, uh, and I was marching. I, I was inspired to be, one of them, you know, that's part of the energy you you request. But when you went to school, it was a totally different thing. I remember religion had been abolished. All the churches are closed, synagogues are closed. And, uh, and the new religion, you know, the, you know, as opium is the, you know, religion is the opiate of the people, Mark said, right? So Mm -hmm. now it becomes about praising Fidel, praising Fidel. And there was a very interesting anecdote that, that a young man, came to me, he was about 35 years old, and he came to my house in, in Miami, in Key Biscayne, and he was delivering some pizzas. And when he saw me at the house, he didn't know I was living there at the time, and he he, he, he looked at me and he was very moved. And uh, he started to cry, like started to get emotional in front of me. And he said, oh my God, Mr. Garcia, I can't believe this is you. I've, I've watched your movie, The Lost City. Now this young man, uh, was like 35, grew up in that system, and had seen a clandestine DVD in Cuba that was being passed around, you know. And uh, and I said, can you come in? Come in a moment, have a beer. He goes, well, I'm working. I said, well, just come in. I know the, the folks at Sir Pizza. If there's a problem, I'll call them, you know. 
So he came in for like half an hour. I gave him a beer. He calmed himself down. He was a mason, very intelligent. And he said, I said, you're, you're very well educated. He goes, oh, yes, we were, we were educated in Cuba, yes. But, uh, and I said, well, how was that education? He goes, oh, well, you know, it was, it, was, it was a lot of the, you know, the rules of the road, you know, kind of thing, you know, praising Fidel, praising the revolution, who you have to be within the revolution. It was all constant. And he told me this anecdote, which was fascinating. He says, let me, let me explain. He said, usted no sabe, señor, si, usted no sabe. Like, you don't know what it was like. Give me, I'll give you an example. He says, when we were very young in grade school, they, the teachers would say, okay, on Monday, they would say, pray for, on Wednesday, we, all, we want you to all pray to your God that on Wednesday they will come with a ice cream truck, la merienda, you know, the afternoon snack, the ice cream truck will show up. And everyone will have, we'd have a moment of silence and everybody would pray. And this would go on for weeks and the ice cream truck would never come. And then weeks later, they said, okay, today, this Monday, we're going to pray to Fidel for the ice cream truck to come. And then, of course, on Wednesday, the ice cream truck would show up, you know, type, you know, because of Fidel. And uh, it might have been just one truck that kept moving around, you know. But, <laughs> so they had to time it out. But so this is the kind of thing for young people that, you know, you get into, you know, and I've experienced that with people that have come, obviously. And as they grow up, they start becoming aware that, it's all a bull, bunch of bullshit. And, uh, and also because of the internet, which was very helpful to eventually to the, the end of that system, as we see it happening today, they start getting aware that Cuban government cannot control the information that leaves the country like they used to. And the people also are getting information from the outside and they're going like, all that shit you've been telling us is, it's a lie. That's not what's going on out there, you know? Why, why can't we live like that? Why can't we benefit from a free society like that? Why are you holding me down? Why are you strangling my opportunities, uh, my, my voice, everything, you know? So uh, that's what we're seeing today happening in Cuba with the people on the street. People are saying, that's it. No more. No more. Would you agree that, uh, that Internet access is the strongest weapon that Cubans currently have? Yes. And, well, it's been taken away from them, you know. Uh, and uh, they find their way through it. But uh, hopefully the international community, including the United States, will, you know, will contribute some sort of system that can usurp their blockage and uh, and get, you know, get that Internet, you know, accessible to all the Cuban people so they can voice themselves. They can reach out when the when dissidents are, are jailed. People will know what's happening, you know, and they can see the, the dissent that's going on in the country. And uh, for and calling for the end of that regime and just simple freedom. They just want their freedoms back. Andy, I, w people who know you and admire you and love you as an actor, as an artist, uh, may not know that you are an equally accomplished musician and that among the many things that, Andy, al final del día, when we've had our day on earth, you know, there are things that one does that make eternal differences. And in your case, the fact that you reached out to Gachao, who, along with his brother, created the Mambo in, in 38, he, then he went on to create so many more musical uh, rhythms in, in Cuba that we all know today, and yet he was virtually unknown. And you've worked with Celia Cruz and Arturo Sandoval and Paquito, and, and I just think there is so much 
richness of Cuban culture that has been eviscerated by the regime. How, how can that happen? And, and yet it's a reality, right? The thing in Cuba, but thank you for that. It was my, it was my privilege to, to do anything I could for, for Cachao, for spe specifically because I knew he was, uh, you know, his legacy was not really being appreciated. It was appreciated by those of us who knew it, but by the, you know, the general public, I, I think that that was something that he needed the opportunity to go back into the studio and to let the world know who this person was. He would have been like Louis Armstrong playing bar mitzvahs, you know, it's the same thing, you know, it's, and just being there forgotten. And this, unfortunately, it happens a lot in the music world. You know, the old artists, you know, uh, are, you know, sometimes forgotten for when they And a lot of times people who are fans or feel an obligation will go and, you know, sort of help them or resuscitate their, 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 you know, their careers or their life. But for me, I was just a messenger from someone above to say, go look after your uh, Maestro Cachao. You, I know how you feel about him. So I had a, I just wanted to be of service to him. But, you know, the Cuban government does not, they erase all of those people's history in, in, in Cuban music there. You know, the people know who Celia is in, in Cuba and people know who Cachao is. If you're a mus musician and you're uh, a lover of that, but the Cuban government does not acknowledge them, you know, aside from, you know, confiscating all the rights to all the musicians, copyrights and all that stuff, which is, they've also taken over since 1959, but they don't acknowledge they, someone told me that when I first came, did the movie The Untouchables, someone came from Cuba that was there and he said, oh, you know, I, I saw an article in, in the Gramna or some local thing there and, uh, and they said that you were Puerto Rican. They can erase you that way. Yeah. No, I have nothing against being Puerto Rican, but I'm saying no, no, they, no, didn't, no, they didn't want to acknowledge that a Cuban can actually be successful in America or whatever, you know, whatever they're thinking. Isn't that was. something? So, uh, so it's, you know, all those artists like Bebo Valdez and, you know, in that generation and Celia, they, they're responsible for the, for the roots of our music. You know, of course they're inspired by even a younger, even an earlier generation, you know, uh, from the Cervantes and Samuel and mm -hmm. a lot of Cuban classical music and, and La Cuona and so forth. But, mm -hmm. but these people are, they've been, uh, their music has been imitated and stolen for, you know, since its inception. Cachao's music, I know specifically has a lot with songs that have been lifted from his compositions like Oyo Como Va and stuff like that, that, that are, you know, they're, they people take them as though it's folklore. It's not folklore. These are real compositions. You can't just lift a hook and create a new song without giving credit. You know, it's like happening with sampling and all that. At some point, people said, you can't keep sampling my horn lines of a Stevie Wonder tune and not give Stevie Wonder credit, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, unfortunately, in, in, in our world, in the, in the it's, it, you know, a lot of artists have not been compensated for for their compositions, how they've influenced other compositions. That's a whole other podcast, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great idea for another podcast. Thank you for highlighting Cachao and all his career achievements and for the documentary uh, was, that you did on his life. And, and I, I'm very proud. I, I, I believe that my relationship, personally, personally for me, my relationship 
with Kachao and what we did together, the, the stuff we recorded and and the movie The Lost City, I, I really consider that the most important work I've done in my life. I still have work to do, but up until now, you know. Talking about work, well, first, if you haven't seen the documentary, Ahora Si, se lo recomiendo a todo el mundo. Take the time and thank you again, Andy, because I got to meet Cachao through you. And uh, there's a whole new generations uh, can enjoy and admire and respect uh, Cachao's work and more importantly, acknowledge his 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 great work. And that was thanks to uh, your effort to push for that. Because we, I shot behind the scenes of the recording of that record and, you know, turned it into a documentary. But the first one we did was at the James L. Knight Center there in Miami called Como Su Ritmo No Hay Dos. And that was done in 1992 or three. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was like 10 years before the Buena Vista thing came out. Andy, thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you do for our cultura, por la gente de Cuba, por la libertad de, de, del pueblo cubano. Muchas gracias, hermano. Thank you. Thank you, guys. On the next episode of SOS Cuba, we tackle the definition of freedom for the next generation and whether Cuba can actually be free. Together, we'll discuss the changes that have already happened and how each of us can contribute further towards justice and freedom for the Cuban people. SOS Cuba is produced by Enrique Santos, Luisa Barona, Julio Ramirez, Harold Valenzuela, DJ Extreme, Wilbur Mateo, Rosalia Castro, and Telemundo in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Addison. I'm Hudson's mom. He's two and a half, but at 17 months old, he was diagnosed with chloride plexus carcinoma. I tell people all the time that you get to know so many families and create a family of your own. I've reached out to families that have been diagnosed after us and said, hey, this isn't a family you want to be a part of, but we are family now. St. Jude is a miracle. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by texting SHIRT to 785-833. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens. But trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.